I'd like to talk tonight about the role of effort in our mindfulness practice. This is something that I've had a difficult relationship with over the years, especially, I mean, probably going way back through decades of, you know, going to school and going to graduate school and working, always looking ahead, you know, going to school in order to go to the next school and going to school in order to get a job and then, and then doing the job for the last few years in order to be able to retire for a while. <laughs> so, you know, not, not really very, somehow not, not quite involved in what I was doing. And also in the kind of work that I was doing, I think I was always driven a lot by pleasing people and by working in the computer industry. It's very focused on a kind of perfectionism and a kind of planning for every detail. So I had this really difficult um, notion in my mind of what effort was. And then in rebellion against all this kind of stress, I would usually try to relax by going on vacations or distracting myself with movies and food and so forth. But it's difficult to relax when our minds and bodies are so wound up. And um, when we can really only relax by becoming absorbed in something, then although it might be relaxing and it's good in a way because it can allow our bodies to relax, we're not really learning anything about what causes the stress in the first place. And also, as long as we're caught up in thinking that we need some kind of special external circumstances or pleasant sense pleasures in order to relax, then we're really reinforcing a sense of restlessness, of always looking for something better and more relaxing. And we're reinforcing the idea that, that the ability to relax is conditional on something that we can find in the external world. I think many of our difficult associations that we have with effort come to um, come from effort due to aiming at the wrong things. There's a teaching of the Buddha called the Eight Worldly Dharmas. These are praise and blame, success and failure, gain and loss, and pleasure and pain. And uh, the Buddha teaches that everything that happens in the world is just a sort of an endless cycle of these experiences all the time. And that it's largely out of our control which of these things happens to us. Um, most of our effort is always directed at staying kind of always on the sunny side of these pairs and struggling to control the outcome of what happens so that the only thing we have to experience is praise or success or gain and pleasure. And we also tend to be deluded about how much control we have over such things. And when they do work out, we tend to believe that it was our cleverness that made it happen. And when they don't, we take, you know, we take the blame for this. So I remember a few years ago, I was quite caught up in watching the stock market go up and down. And, you know, without changing my investments, I felt really smart one day and really stupid the next day. And, and uh, this is this is deluded. <laughs> um, the expression trying harder is often actually just what it sounds like because we tense up our bodies and we strain our minds and we try to force things to come out in a certain way. And then we want to hold them there so that they never change when we finally get them the way we want them. And the only thing that we really succeed in freezing actually is our own vital energy that we're holding in our minds and bodies. Um, it's tied up in holding on to our concepts of how things should be and in repressing our memories and feelings and even our perceptions of what's happening so that we can control this feeling that we're always, you know, praiseworthy and successful and, you know, so that we have this very solid self-concept that's, that's uh, unchallengeable by things that happen. So, of course, in contrast to these associations with effort, I remember times that, in fact, involved a great deal of effort. But since I was enjoying it, there wasn't this sense of struggle. And since it was really effort that was directed to something that I was enjoying in the moment, you know, times I enjoyed school, plenty of times that I enjoyed work, times that I've enjoyed hobbies and painting and that sort of thing. Um, I saw a wonderful movie for the second time recently called Rivers and Tides by Andy Goldsworthy. Have any of you seen that? He's an artist who goes out into nature and just makes things out of things he finds in nature, like leaves and stones. And, and he's really studying impermanence because he makes them not, to, not for them to last, but just for the joy of making them. And then sometimes the point is to see how they're destroyed by the wind or the tide or whatever. So in one, in one point he said that he was building these egg-shaped um, cairn-like things out of, out of shale kind of stone. And he, he was building it 
on the beach so that the whole idea was that the tide would come in and, and it would be interesting to see what the, how the tide destroyed it. And he got up at, that, you know, three o'clock in the morning, freezing cold in Nova Scotia, and he's working on this thing and he gets it up to about here and it collapses. And he says, well, I guess I didn't understand the stone well enough. You know, I'm, I'm, and then he goes and hours later, you know, time lapse photography, it's a little higher and it collapses again. <laughs> and he says every time he does it, it gets a little higher and he understands the stone a little better. And that, that's really the reason he's making it is to understand the stone. And in another sequence, he was working with some large leaves and making a thing out of them. And he was explaining that he doesn't just make it any which way, that he, it, it's kind of evolves out of the shape of the leaf and he can only make it a certain way so that it sort of brings out the character of the leaf in the way that it's naturally wants to curve and all and then all these things are just blown away by the wind and blown away by the tide of course he takes pictures and makes movies so. <laughs> but um, anyway that's a, just a really wonderful dharma movie so when i first came to hear the teachings of the dharma i was really attracted to the teachings of non-doing the teachings of that, that that the mind is naturally pure and that we're all you know natural born buddhas and that you don't need to do anything and that i'm okay as i am and the teaching of just be don't do and you know i and i am attracted to that aspect of the teaching but um a great turning around in the dharma practice is really bringing those ideas down to earth and and really starting to connect with the present and starting to see how difficult it is to realize those teachings. Um, it's, it's beautiful when we really see for the first time that when we really experience that what we are seeking with all this effort is really just the effort to get closer to what is and to really, to really touch each moment of our brief life. Um, and then the magic of the Dharma is that really through doing that, um, th- through that turning into what's happening and allowing things to happen, that it leads to a deeper change. Whereas struggling with things in an effortful sort of way actually reinforces the very things that we're trying to, that we would like to change. Um, so, but the Buddha teaches that effort is needed and, and the effort is needed basically uh, because we have a lifetime of habits of acting unwisely in one way or another. And habits are so, they're constantly being formed and they're constantly being reinforced. And every minute we're doing something that's, that's working on some, that's reinforcing or developing one or another habit. Right now I'm kind of watching in myself a couple of habits that are getting going. And uh, one of them, I've been off coffee for a long time, but then recently I've been doing some English teaching and I drive to the school and the school has coffee and I started having a decaf, a little cup of decaf. And then, then, you know, kind of worked up to the, they were out of that one day, so I worked up to the the calf. And then one day I was early and there's a Starbucks on the way. (laughs) So so I stop in the Starbucks, I start with the decaf latte. And then the next day I noticed that I'm, I'm wanting to leave early so that, you know, I can go to the Starbucks again. And I'm watching this. And at the time you've done this two or three times, it starts to feel like an entitlement, you know. And it's, it's very, if I'm late one day, it's, I feel very deprived as I drive by and there's this pull to go there. And this is, you know, three times or so of having this, having this coffee. So there's, there's a habit. And I've gone and cultivated this wanting this thing that I had, you know, managed to get off of. And then another thing that's happening is that I've been noticing, excuse me, I've been noticing that my car is a wonderful place to meditate. And um, not not necessarily when I'm driving, but there's something about I'm driving along and when I come to a stop and turn off the engine, that moment of the end of all the kind of driving and the engine stops and it's quiet and it's like, and just, just that settling into the present moment, which I've come to associate with the moment of turning off the engine. And so um, it's getting longer and longer <laughs> that I sit in my car, you know, when, it, when I come to a halt. And the other day I wanted something to eat. And I had, of course, plenty to eat, but I wanted something better to eat. And so <laughs> I got in the car and went, went out in search of some kind of comfort food, you know. And I, and I pulled into Safeway thinking I'm going to go get some frozen lasagna or something. And, uh, and, but 
turning off the engine. Sure enough, I just sat there and I wound up sitting there for 20 minutes, you know, and, and I just really got I got the feeling that I had come to buy the food for by sitting there in the car. And finally I realized, well, I feel great. This is what I wanted. I don't need the food. <laughs> and Rand left. So, you know, but so these habits are developing kind of both ways. And when we come to the Buddha's teachings about what right effort is, it really has to do with studying our habits and which ones are wholesome and which ones are unwholesome. So I'm beginning to realize that in every minute we're practicing something and that we can take some control over what it is that we're practicing. So um, the actual, uh, the Buddha's words on what right effort is, I've always found a little daunting, but I'll read it to you. Um, that one generates desire, endeavors, arouses persistence, upholds and exerts his intent in order to not give rise to unwholesome states of mind that have not arisen yet. In other words, don't go looking for trouble if you haven't already got some. And then abandoning unwholesome states that have already arisen. So starting to look at your existing habits that aren't necessarily serving you and seeing if there's some way that you can abandon them. And then trying to bring about the arising of unarisen, wholesome mind states. So things you would like to have in your life and qualities of mind you would like to have that you haven't experienced yet. Learning to understand what the causes of bringing those about are and actually cultivating them. And then protecting the arisen, wholesome states. So you, he, he says... The maintenance, non-confusion, increase, abundance, development, and fulfillment of wholesome states of mind that have already arisen. So, in a way, this sounds like, whoa, you know, you'd be busy every second wondering what you're doing, what you're doing, what you're doing. And the key to keeping this in balance with the idea of an open awareness and letting things be and just being is to realize that too much effort is itself an unwholesome, an unwholesome state. So what we're really looking at developing is um, a relationship with what's going on in every moment that does not involve greed or aversion or delusion. That's the Buddhist definition of what wholesome is. Sometimes wholesome is translated as skillful. They both mean that they're heading, it's heading in a direction, a helpful direction, a direction toward less suffering. So... Um, so if we bear in mind that, that wanting things to be different than they are in a striving sort of way is, is itself a sort of a greedy mental state of wanting. And on the other hand, um, wanting things not to be the way they are and struggling too hard to make things be different than they are, it's also aversion in a way. And so uh, the kinds of effort and struggle that are so difficult are, are not what's being talked about here at all. Um, in terms of those first few words, he says that we generate desire, endeavor, arouse, persistence, and uphold your intent. Uh, persistence is really the key there. I mean, it's describing we need the desire to do it. If you're, if you're trying to do something that you don't really have the desire to do, then you're into that unskillful struggling again. You're doing something because you should, because you, know, you feel that it would get you approval or something like that. So you need the kind of wholesome desire to do it. And then you need these endeavors to look at the, what kinds of habits you're developing. And then you need the persistence to keep doing it over and over and over again. Um, the important thing to remember here is that it's very important in our practice that we don't make a, start making a distinction between ends and means so that we're not doing something in order to be free of suffering that itself in any way increases our suffering. Um, there's a few thoughts I have on persistence and the things that are, I find to be supportive of persistence. The Buddha says, with dripping drops of water, even a water jug is filled. With trivial acts repeated, a wise one is filled with merit. And it's just so, so important in this practice to just do things drop by drop by drop. Like, you know, the one cup of coffee, the next day you want it. The same thing for our practice. Probably until you started coming here, you never really 
thought about mindfulness. He never necessarily thought about being aware of what's happening right now. But as soon as you've heard of it, it comes back to you, you know, and, and you, the more you begin to just notice in a very simple way the difference between moments when you are mindful and moments when you aren't, that's cultivating that habit. And there's really nothing else that's needed to go all the way to liberation and to have more and more and more moments of mindfulness. And so it does build on itself. Um, one thing, though, that I've found helpful is sometimes I find it helpful to make one big decision to put yourself in a place where you're likely to be reminded a lot of this. So like you came here tonight, you know, that's one decision that's good for a couple of hours of reminders about the practice. And when I first started, I, I, started, I was very attracted to the retreat practice right off the bat. And um, I used to, I got even into these very long retreats. And uh, it was a lot of work to go, you know, but it was a kind of effort that was effortless because I so much wanted to go. But all the effort of renting my house out and finding subletters and getting my cat taken care of and, you know, getting myself to Massachusetts and all the things that I did. It was it was a flow of just just I don't remember thinking that as particular effort. And then when I got there, having made the decision to be there for a three month retreat, you know, it was. It was like one big decision that <laughs> that led to many, many months of en- weeks of endless reminders to be present, you know. And then, and then I really began to appreciate the really simple practice of just begin again and just begin again, you know. Because no matter no matter where you are, it's always now. It's always time to begin again. And my, my memories of these retreats are mostly of sitting there. And just beginning again, beginning again, and beginning again, over and over and over again. And you know, my body would be painful, and I, okay, what's a new way to just be here with this? And what's a new way to just, to you know, okay, now it's time to walk and get up and walking and step after step after step. And there were hours and hours and hours when I wasn't there and I was lost in thought and so forth. But just being there, I kept coming back and kept coming back, and you know, gradually the habit builds up. And so, um, over a period of time like that. Things vary so much, there's enough time that eventually all the mental factors kind of peak now and then, you know, and you get some of those peaks. And then you get to experience what the real deeper peace is, and then you have a different, you sort of have a different set point in your mind about what's possible. Um, Another thing that, uh, it's important to really be patient with the habit energies because it does take a long time. But another beautiful thing from that movie is one of the things he was doing was building uh, stone walls that went around trees, very narrow, very close to the trees. And the people were saying, well, eventually the trees will grow and break the wall, right? And he said, well, yeah, that's part of the idea. But he made the point that it's not that the tree is stronger than the wall. Somebody said the tree is stronger than the wall. And he said, no, actually, growth is stronger than the wall. So it's the force in the tree that's making the tree grow that eventually breaks the wall. And that's that's the way that it, it goes when we're trying to transform these difficult habit energies, is that there's something in us that wants to grow, and that force of growth is stronger than the walls that we're trying to keep it, um, keep it repressed. Another thing is to understand that all these things have their natural rhythm, and that's something that you certainly see on retreat. Mindfulness comes and goes. Energy comes and goes. Effort comes and goes. You know, sometimes it's just obviously a delightful time to make effort. And other times you couldn't make effort if you wanted to. And and it comes and goes and comes and goes. And all these cycles interact with each other. And it's just wonderful to see how out of control everything is in a way. <laughs> you know, but how it's all somehow trending. You know, if you keep at it gradually, it sort of trends in a direction that that begins to be transformative. The other thing to understand is that change happens in really surprising ways. I don't think, you've probably heard this here before, but it's so hard to describe what it is that changes because the external circumstances don't necessarily change. You know, hard things keep happening, but there gets to be more and more space around it and more and more ability to just, that it's okay, you know, what happens. I Just last week I was giving a different version of this talk somewhere, and I, I really don't think it went very well. And But, you know, it was okay. I wasn't, you know, it was kind of amazing to just be giving a talk and having it 
not liking it at all. <laughs> but, but it was okay. You know, I didn't, just didn't feel like I was suffering. And I thought that was just a uh, you know, million and one in the last ten years example of, oh, that's the difference between suffering and something unpleasant going on. So something unpleasant can be going on. And yet it's like, well, okay, there's just a big part of the mind that's just above it all and doesn't really mind. I'm always, I'm always reminding myself that freedom is not something that's out there in the future. It's right here, you know, and it's possible in any moment. In fact, it's only possible one moment after another. And so whenever, you know, I'm caught up in being frustrated and I'm, I'm starting to whine about, you know, when are things going to get better? It's, well, how about right now? You know, now, now, what is, what is it about right now that I think this isn't the moment to apply the things that I've learned, you know, through the practice? It's, it's always... There's nothing going on in any moment that isn't susceptible to the same skills that we've learning in the practice. So basically, right effort in the mindfulness practice is just to keep remembering to be aware of something that's really happening right now and to cultivate more and more ability to recognize the difference between being here with anything. It could be the breath. It could be just the mere fact that we're sitting here in the room. That's a true fact in the moment, more or less, compared to being caught up in thinking about what's happening yesterday or tomorrow or what might happen or who we are or something. So just remembering over and over and over again to come back to the present. My teacher, Joseph, likes to quote his teacher, Munindraji, who used to say, if you can sit and know that you are sitting, the whole Dharma will unfold for you. And that, that's very inspiring, but it's a big if for me. Because... <laughs> Um, you know, the more often you can sit and know that you're sitting, the more, the deeper the unfolding will go on. But over and over again, I get caught up. You know, when I'm sitting, I want to make something happen, or I want the experience to always be pleasant. You know, or I've read about some great spiritual experience, and I think I ought to be able to make that happen now. And, and uh, you know, or imagining how perfect things will be when I never make any more mistakes. And, and you know. <laughs> Everyone loves me all the time. <laughs> or, or I'm also a kind of a technique junkie. You know, I like to read all, all those meditation books and think, oh, I, you know, that's what I'm not doing with the breath. And for a long time, I thought there was something I just didn't get about the breath, you know, and how there was some way to follow the breath that was somehow going to do it. <laughs> and, and I don't know, it was so funny because, no, <laughs> it's just breathing. And the whole point is just to, just to breathe, you know. And breathe however you're breathing and just be aware that you're breathing. And it, it just, I hadn't given it enough time for that really to, to become something that I was, that had the effect that it can have if you just stay with it gradually long enough. Um, there's a, so, um, there's a way when we're practicing that one of the things in the Buddha's definition of right effort was that you exert intent. And I, I've had an interesting exploration of what is it to exert intent that's different than really trying hard, you know? Because when, when, I, when I find myself trying hard, like I'm going to stay with the breath or I'm going to do something, it, you know, it, it just increases the tension in the, in the eyes sometimes or sometimes it, or it stirs up thinking. So I had this experience the other day. I don't know if you can relate to this. It's kind of a weird experience. But I have these um, kind of like Charlie horse cramps in my feet once in a while. And... There comes a point when I finally get it, just when I finally get it to stop cramping. And and then it's like, okay, now don't move. <laughs> but but it's a if I tense up about don't move, then it's then that's not it, you know. But there's that intent. There's a strong sort of intention that I'm just going to hold it, that it's relaxed now, and I'm just going to stay. It's just going to stay relaxed, and it's a mental intention. You know, not to move, but there's no there's no gripping and no struggle and no tension in it. So that quality of intention is what you can bring in in a moment when you are aware. Because when you're not aware, when you're off thinking about work tomorrow, there's nothing you can do about it. It's like you're dreaming and you can't you can't wake up. But when you're in a moment of realizing that you're here, then that's a moment when that intention, when you can strengthen that intention to stay here a little bit. But if you push it too hard, then it goes, you know, then you start becoming tense and you start you start thinking about how to meditate or something. But it's just, just this very gentle sort of intention to just stay here now that I am here.
Um, balancing effort between too strong and too loose is really an art. And it's up to each individual to just figure out, you know, not figure out, but discover and notice and, you know, just flow with when it's, when it's too strong and too loose. Even the Buddha had to learn by experiment how to do this. You probably know the story that he was, he spent the first 28 years of his life as this very pampered prince in the palace with everything he could possibly want. And then upon discovering about death and illness, he was suddenly driven to practice and he did these extreme ascetic practices for seven or eight years of starving himself and trying trying all these really difficult practices until he finally realized that there was this middle way of a balance between alert and relaxed that was it would actually allow the mind to open. And out of that he 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 came up with his famous metaphor of the lute, you know, tuning the lute being not too tight and not too loose. And another um Another metaphor from the Buddha that I really like is of crossing the river. And he says, um, if I tarried, if I, if I went too slow, I sank. And when I hurried, I was swept away. And there's a feeling for me often in, in sitting of this feeling of sinking is very, very literally kind of what happens. You know, you can get you're sleepy or you're kind of spaced out and it's like the mind is sinking so that it actually loses contact with something that's actually happening right now. And that's a time when, if you can realize that that's happening, that you do want to call to mind a little stronger effort. Um, so some of the more effortful techniques that you can use then, excuse me, is to really, is to bring up the investigation quality of trying to see what's happening right now and seeing if you can connect more precisely with something that's going on right now. Sometimes we teach this technique of mental noting. I don't know if any of you have heard the teaching on that, but some people find it helpful to actually label what's going on. And I find it occasionally helpful, especially when I'm really sleepy or oddly enough when I'm really restless, not physically restless, but when I'm so caught up in thinking that I, I just keep completely disconnecting from what's happening right now. And next thing I know, I'm off thinking again. If I can engage the mind through this verbal practice, I think, you know, air, airplanes do this touch and go thing where they they circle and they just touch the landing strip and go off. If I can just kind of touch in occasionally out of this storm of thinking and what's really happening. And, and the noting really helps me with that. So really, you know, noting an in-breath or an out-breath or a, a, an itch or a sound, just noting hearing and feeling, it directs the mind toward what's happening. And it, it, it just cuts through the thinking often enough that it keeps just kind of pulling you back and it's like poking holes in something solid. Eventually it, it begins to kind of thin out. Um, on the other hand, you can feel the swept away feeling um, can be something that's happening when there's a lot of strong emotion that you're feeling or you're caught up in a really emotional uh, thinking storm. Or if you've been striving too much, you've been trying too hard, figuring something out, you know, trying to make something happen. And the most helpful thing I usually find there is to broaden the focus, to, to, to try to find, it's like a camera lens that's got a variable focus. And you could, if you go very narrow, you're missing something that's going on out here that keeps pulling you out. You know, there's some emotional umbrella that's happening that you're not really noticing. But if so, if you can kind of take a bigger look at what's going on and seeing if you can identify that overall what's going on is that you're really anxious. I spent so many hours on retreat getting not realizing that I'm getting more and more and more wound up about something, you know, worried about something or trying to make something happen. And I just don't notice it. And I think I'm really skillfully trying. And, and it's just the trying gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And then at some point I realize, oh, you know, what's going on is is I'm I'm just completely caught up in feeling that I'm a failure somehow at this and I wasn't even noticing that. I was just believing it and trying harder and harder and harder. So if you can if you can just sort of search the sky until you find, oh, this is what's going on. And when you find it, there's a really interesting kind of release to just notice, oh, that's what's going on. There's a magic kind of letting go that can happen. Um, you can also get caught up, well, it's kind of what I was just saying, but you can get caught up in in too much effort, in, in trying too hard to figure out 
how to practice in this moment. <laughs> so, oh, should I do less effort? Should I do more effort? You know, <laughs> is this the time to, to try that practice? Should I try a little loving kindness? You know, I'll just stay with my breath for a few minutes. Oh, no, I should, I should try to identify what this emotion is. You know, and I, I think it's like flipping through the Rolodex of instructions, you know, in my mind. <laughs> And, and I've gotten I've gotten caught in that so many times. And then you finally notice that that's what you're doing. And and that's it's a little hard to put a note on that. But you can back up to where the whole thing that's going on is just this whole confused efforting thing. And and sometimes I've gotten to where I can't I can't stop it. I mean, it keeps on going by itself. The mind simply will not settle down. You know, it wants something. I don't know what. But even that you can you can just well. This is what it's like for that to be going on. You know, you're just a person who's having this experience right now, and, and that's what it is. So, so it's important to persist throughout your practice in checking your attitude and checking whether you're getting more and more wound up or more and more sucked into what's going on or whether you're getting, maybe you're getting more and more self-critical, you know, more and more, I can't do this, this, I don't know what they mean by this, I can't do it. If you're getting more that way or if you're starting to feel more space around what's happening. So um, as we begin to relax and open and allow ourselves to feel what's happening, then we may find ourselves opening up to some of the more, the deeper and more unsettling truths of, of life. You know, either often what comes up is a lot of our own shadow material, parts of ourselves that we don't like to look at, ways that we're, you know, angry. Um, I've been seeing a lot of anger in myself recently that... I'm sure has always been there and quite noticeable to other people. <laughs> but, you know, I thought I was, uh, you know, a little sweet me. <laughs> but I think I've been kind of angry. <laughs> and uh, and it's, it's good to, to own it, you know, because you, you, when, you, when you just put it out without recognizing what's going on, then, you know, other people know. Other people are hurt by it. So um, it's good. It's difficult. It's very painful to start to open to some of these things that are that are deeper hurt and anger and fear and fear of death fear of getting old there's there's a lot of profound things that are going on way down in our minds that you know begin to come up and and so it can seem like things are getting worse but they're really just they're getting more true and the more you can admit that and connect with it the more you, your your practice can deepen it's kind of, there's an aspect of effort that's courageous effort in a way when the more the more effort that you there's, a, there's a, an interesting thing about effort. You might think that it spends energy, but the kind of effort that we are wanting to employ in our practice actually increases energy. So because what it does is it, there's so much energy trapped in repressing things and, and used up in this constant chatter and thinking in the mind. And when you, when you begin to let that settle, it releases more energy and the energy becomes sort of smoother and all flowing in the same direction as it were and more powerful and so there's actually more energy and uh, sometimes the energy this energy allows us to have the courage to face some of these deep things that we need to face so and and also but sometimes it can be a little uncomfortable in itself because it has a physical component and there can be a, a kind of physical restlessness that comes up when you when you sit a lot and that, that's been very challenging for me to work with. I used to have this kind of jerking thing around my legs when I would sit a long time. And, I, and it's another retreat memory. Is it would happen at a certain time in the evening, and every evening I would know there was going to be this sitting where I would just be. It's like kind of like restless leg syndrome, you know, <laughs> on, on meditation. <laughs> anyway, it, it, it was. But I learned so much from it because it was a real example of just having to say, well, this is what's happening, you know, and and trying to find this a big enough container in my mind to let myself just be there with that. And then gradually it sort of eased off. Um, Basically, over and over again, we're just trying to come back to that refuge in knowing what's happening. And knowing and letting that space be a little bit bigger every time. Uh, to me, it's I, I, being a computer person. It's probably enough of you that know computers now. You can relate to this. But it's like we think whatever's happening is filling the whole screen, you know. And we don't know that you can do the little minimize thing where it, where it shrinks down and it's only one program, you know. And there's this whole little starry operating system, <laughs> something, a whole screen behind it. It's a nice screensaver. But anyway, it, it's like. 
more and more learning that whatever's happening is just one of the little windows, you know, in, in what's going on. And that there's, there's a sense of space around it that's, that you can um, rest in, you know. And it, then, then something new comes along and it fills up the whole screen. And, and it's, it takes some effort to kind of know there's, there's still some space around it. When in, um, besides just practicing on the cushion, um, there's plenty of opportunity to make a steady kind of effort in our daily life experience. It's, uh, it's wonderful to just observe over and over again how your mind deals with difficult situations. Um, when, you know, I'm, I'm got enough mindfulness now that it, I, I generally notice when some difficult emotion has come over me before I get too, too, too carried away with it. And, but, and it's, it's definitely a trigger to investigate what got what caught me here and it's a, it's kind of a game at this point it's like well that's interesting the other day i was they've been fixing the uh, railings on the balcony of my condominium and um it's kind of a new style from what we had before and one of the guys said that was doing the work said well we're going to fix that one and that one that one and i thought wait they're not going to fix them all and i and i just kind of rage came into me and i'm not usually one of the kind of condo appearance police sort of people you know so i don't know why i didn't understand why i was so upset that they're only fixing half of them but i was halfway in there to the phone you know i'm going to call the manager they're only fixing half of them and then i felt this and i thought oh that's a lot of why am i so agitated about this and then i realized mine was not one of the ones that was going to be fixed <laughs> it was mine and then I, so I, I just played this little exercise well what if mine was one of the ones that was going to be fixed and somebody else's wasn't going to be fixed would i care no <laughs> not really <laughs> so it was just it's just interesting to see what you know what what it is that throws us into a rage it wasn't exactly a rage but i was pretty you know i would have spoken to the manager in a way that was you know, would have made her think, oh, here's another hysterical person to deal with. Um, so it's really, to me, it's very much worth applying effort when we, when we notice that we're in a negative state of mind and when we're, when we're generating a whole series of angry fantasies about, you know, people. My mind likes to kind of war game, you know, what would I do if somebody said something mean to me you know and what that winds up being is a lot of fantasies of these people saying mean things to me and then in some subconscious way i start to associate that with these people as if they had said that you know but they didn't they didn't say that <laughs> and so it you know and then i develop this difficulty with this person and i and i'm wary when i meet this person and so it, for utterly no reason other than that they might have you know in some alternate universe and so it's really worth it to, to apply strong effort when you can catch yourself having these kind of negative anger building, re- revenge, resentful fantasies about things. It's, it's difficult to stop them. You can't just stop them, but you can, you can investigate them and you can, you can feel what it's doing to your own body and you can you know, try to develop some curiosity around what's going on any way you can to just not just go with it over and over and over again. The opposite thing is is to make some effort to do less. So you're often in a situation, I'm often in a situation where I think I have to, if I don't step in here and make things happen my way, you know, it's not going to turn out right. And I've had a lot of interesting experiences recently of just as an experiment, just stepping back in a group process and kind of biting my tongue and just see, you know, what happens. And it's very interesting to watch as if you weren't there, like you were a fly on the wall to watch a group of people work something out, you know. And sometimes they come around to, you know, somebody else says what would have been my opinion. And then there's always this, oh, I was going to, that was, yeah, yeah, that was going to be my opinion. And, and then sometimes they come up with a better idea, you know, frequently. And it's just interesting to just try doing a little less, you know, and just see, just watch what happens without you and see how the process unfolds. I often find that I'm doing even physical things with a kind of maximum effort. You know, I'll find that I'm washing dishes. <laughs> that doesn't, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> you don't need to put that much effort into it. And if you find that you have um, hurt someone or done something unskillful, then it takes a courageous kind of effort to open to that, to open to the actual feeling of remorse for having done that without, without falling into just replaying it and without falling into self-criticism, but actually, you know, 
connecting with the fact that you hurt someone. It does see it kind of breaks through the self-righteousness that fuels the future episodes of that. And then um, it's like planting seeds that counteract that belief to, to actually experience the remorse of something that you've done. And then maybe you'll notice before, you know, next time, earlier and earlier in the process, you'll catch what's going on. So gradually, as we do this practice with this kind of skillful effort, then the habits start to work in our favor, you know, and more and more as our mind is, is as our habit stream is, it's, it's sort of, I think of the Buddha's four right efforts, it's like gardening the mind, sort of, you know, you're, you're, you're cultivating the seeds that you want to and you're weeding the things that you'd like to weed out. Then gradually we really can begin to taste the meaning of effortless effort because we can, we can be, we can exert less and less effort and yet we'll be doing the right thing more and more automatically. And we'll be doing more and more skillful things. So I think that's plenty for me. I'd like if anybody has any comments or questions. We've got a few minutes. Yeah? You're caught up in negative emotions. What's, it's really hard to be aware. You know, because you're kind of like swept up in it, you know? Uh, what, is, what are some good tips for finding a way to be aware, like when you're really angry, you know? Yeah. Um, mostly, I think, though, just just giving the practice time, you know, because the more the longer that you practice, the more you you get your baseline of what of how you're used to feeling is is more and more calm, and you're and you you're you're more and more used to checking in with yourself about how you're feeling. And so it becomes more of, a, of an unusual thing when there's a strong feeling of anger and then it, call, it, calls your, it catches your attention a little earlier and you're more used to examining yourself. So it gets to where you, you're kind of aware all the time. I mean, it's like right now probably for a lot of you who are just starting, it's like, well, there's your life and then you practice, you know, you come here for an hour or maybe you sit a while in the morning. And so the practice is like little islands in your life. But if you keep at it, it gets so it's almost the other way around. And you're, the whole reason for living is, is this amazing journey of watching how everything works, you know, and watching how your mind works and watching how your emotions work. And it's really um, so when something like a strong like the anger I had at this balcony thing came up, it was it was it was kind of surprising to see it, you know, and it was very noticeable because I'm, I'm used to watching what's going on a lot of the time. So that's, you know, just give it time. It is difficult, and, you know. <laughs> okay. mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was wondering um, why you think that people make such an effort, like, to not be different at all, because we... Well, people at my school, I see people and they ask me questions like, why don't you wear this? And why yeah. don't you do that? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm yeah. Right. Well, it takes a lot of courage to be different in a way. I mean, if you're, if you're like everybody else, then there's like nothing to explain, you know, and it's kind of, it's kind of, I don't know, it's safe, but in a, in a way that isn't all that interesting really I mean it's kind of uh, you know it's everybody there's such a pressure to have an image of yourself that somehow matches what you think you should be and that's that's so strong especially in in the school years you know to to be a certain way and we're trying to we get the cues of how we should be from how people around us are and some people can just get so carried away with that you know, that they're not looking in themselves for how they really feel and what they really like and what really feels good or maybe is comfortable or, or supports some of their bigger feelings about how things should be in the world. You know, like, what, I don't know, you could, you could care about what clothes you wear on the basis of all kinds of things, you know, like where they're made or something like that. And it's just, it gets narrowed down, you know. And I don't know, there's a kind of group think that goes on that people take very few risks and stepping out and you, you get so you get so 
so oriented externally toward what, what other people think and what's going on out there that it's very hard to hear what you really hear or feel what you really care about. Yeah, so that, I mean, it's hard for everybody. It's not just, it's not just people in school. I mean, on, you know, plenty of, I mean, I spent a lot of my life really caring ridiculously much what, you know, what people think, you know, what I say, what I, I don't know, what I do. And it's so painful because it's, it's so much more joyful to just do what you really feel, you know, and, and do it your own way. I don't know. <laughs> it's a good question. It's a lot of suffering in that. A lot. Yeah. Thank you for your talk. An issue I realize with myself with effort is I often lose um, faith in the fruition. What the obviously there's supposed to be a real great connection there, um, and I find myself always struggling with that. Uh, and I can get to moments where suddenly I'll think long enough, and suddenly I can see the connection, and I'll have a burst of energy, and I'll really get why I want to, you know, learn HTML DB or, or you know, <laughs> practice C or something. Um, can you comment on that? That, that yeah, I don't know if it's me or everybody struggles with that, or I seem to. I feel like I struggle with a little more that whole vision thing. Yeah. Well, I do, I do too, and I think. I mean, my 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 feeling about that is a little bit like what I was saying about switching the figure in the ground. I mean, it's it's. If, it's kind of a cliche if you don't it is the process and not the end goal you know but that's really got to be true for me I don't have any answer other than than that it's like the, the probably a lot I, in the beginning I was like practicing the Dharma in order to be able to work you know because I had such a hard time at work some of the same things that you're saying and I was just frustrated by it and I was practicing Dharma so that I would have less stress at work and I hope that you know that work would seem more meaningful and more interesting. And it's, it's really switched for me now and to where everything is just, is just a, a part of the practice, you know. And if it's a, an opportunity to look at what's skillful and what's not and what's leading to more suffering and what's leading to less suffering and what makes me happy and what doesn't. And it's like, I mean, I've seen so many things like your, the software industry comes and goes. It's like it's like one long Andy Goldsworthy movie as far as things lasting. You know, I've worked so hard in so many years on so many computer projects that are now obsolete and gone and, you know, or never got shipped in the first place. And so if you're not <laughs> if there isn't something in the process that engages you somehow, then I, I don't really know what to say, you know. And I mean, the other the other another possibility is that you can look at the whole intention behind the whole thing i mean if you're working you know the internet is doing interesting things for the world probably mostly for the good in a way and opening up communication and you know if you can feel that you're working that the reason that you're working is for this bigger purpose then that could be inspiring but it's it's very hard to get for me to get a lot of inspiration out of some of the short term kind of corporate goals that are out there and uh, I, I don't know how to how to say that, but if you can, I always find some of the. Um, I had another little section here that I didn't have time to get to about about bringing the practice back to other areas of effort. You know, when we need to make effort, like at work, for example, and it, it's. I find it to be the most helpful thing is to scale down to very small steps you know so if i think that i have to learn html db then i'm thinking oh why you know but if it's like now i'm taking the book off the shelf <laughs> now i'm opening the page <laughs> now i'm reading page 1 oh <laughs> there's page 1 now i'm reading this it's sort of you know it 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 has a mindfulness quality to it and it brings it back into that present and there is a part of the mind it's, it's just the amazing thing about the practice that there is a faculty of the mind that loves just to be connecting with whatever's happening. And so it's possible to, I think it's possible to enjoy anything. 
You know, there's a feeling of, there's one of my favorite Dharma quotes of all time is from a great teacher named Joko Beck, where she says, joy is exactly what's happening minus your opinion of it. <laughs> and and the, this quality of joy is not the same as, as pleasure. It's, it's something in the mind that the mind really loves, you know. Reading the phone book could probably, you know, it's not that different than breathing. <laughs> and, you know, you can get very, very blissed out and just meditating. And you could probably do it learning HTML TV <laughs> if you looked at it as a, as a mindfulness practice, you know. And, and, and forget about, you know, if it happens to be your assignment for work, then, you know, look at it as a, as a practice. Do you think um, fruition is a trap then? Do I think what? Do you think... Um, maintaining a notion of fruition connected with our effort is is a trap. Some uh, thinking about the future. Yeah, being attached to it is. It's a subtle difference, but any kind of attachment is what we're really looking at. I mean, that's the Buddha's definition of the cause of suffering. Really, is attachment mm-hmm. to outcomes of things. And so, but we can't just ignore that. I mean, people's. You know, we we all want to. We have in mind some some things that would be nice if they happened, you know. So we want we we need to work toward the things that we would like to have happen, but we just need to hold it lightly and put a whole lot more of our attention on the process, and and so that the because if we do the process in a way that promotes our own um, well-being, then that's probably the best input that we can put into the whole system of the cosmos of what's going on. You know, and if we allow ourselves to get all tense and twisted and unhappy about something in order to cause something, you know, because there's going to be some payoff in the future, it's, I don't think, you know, it's risky because there are so many factors in the future that can, factors influencing what goes on in the future that we're sort of setting ourselves up for a lot of disappointment. And meanwhile, missing the opportunity to cultivate the ability to do anything mindfully in. And joyfully. Says I, who dropped out of the software industry three years ago and hasn't gone back. So, I don't know. But, I don't know. Yeah, I'm doing things now that I, that I enjoy more. And that's the other option. But, you know, I, when I was working and practicing, I was trying to do it that way with some success. Okay. It's nine o'clock, so thank you.